Have you ever wondered why you can sound pretty good the day before an audition or performance and even feel pretty confident backstage warming up, but then sound like a totally different person when it actually counts? Everyone experiences this gap between performance and practice. So it's totally not just you. Part of the problem is that our practice tends to be skewed heavily towards learning rather than performing, which can help us sound pretty good in the practice room, but this level of playing doesn't always transfer to the stage, where you have to get something right the very first time when the adrenaline has kicked in. If you've wished you could feel more confident on stage and perform more consistently at the level you know you're capable of, or if you've wanted to help your students have a more positive experience on stage, but haven't been quite sure how to make that happen, starting Tuesday, June 18, I'll be teaching a live, online, accelerated two-week class on the most essential mental skills that can make the biggest difference in your practicing and performing. We'll meet twice a week via Zoom and work on a range of exercises and techniques in four essential psychological skill areas together as a group. And to make sure the ideas don't just stay in your head, but actually become consistent habits, I'll show you how to gently integrate these new skills into your or your students' daily practice in manageable, bite-sized pieces alongside a cohort of supportive practice buddies from around the world. Registration is open now through Sunday, June 16 at 11.59 p.m. Pacific. Over 1,500 musicians, educators, and students and learners of all ages have participated in the course already. You can find out what alumni are saying and sign up to join Cohort 18 at bulletproofmusician.com essentials. This is Noah Kageyama, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Musician Podcast. Every Sunday morning, we'll take a look at a new research-based tip or technique to help you practice more effectively or perform better under pressure. And on the first Sunday of every month, I'll have a guest from the music, sport, or research world who will share their insights on how we can all be a little more awesome in the practice room and on stage. In her viral 2008 TED Talk, neuroanatomist Jill Bolte-Taylor remarked that, quote, although many of us may think of ourselves as thinking creatures that feel, biologically we are feeling creatures that think. I'm often reminded of this quote around this time of year when our thoughts turn to the new year and the new habits we'd like to incorporate into our lives. Habits like exercising more regularly, or practicing more consistently, or flossing. A lot of these goals seem simple enough on paper, but we know from experience that it can be a real challenge to maintain these new behaviors. How hard? Well, take exercise, for instance. I still remember my exercise behavior professor in grad school saying that, statistically, we have a better chance of quitting heroin cold turkey than we do of maintaining an exercise program beyond six months. Why are the numbers so discouraging? Well, for better or for worse, research has found that our decisions and actions are often aligned more with how we feel than what we think. For instance, your brain already knows plenty about the benefits of exercise, so the problem isn't a lack of information. And cramming more knowledge into your noggin isn't going to get you to the gym any more consistently than reading an article about the benefits of practicing scales will make you crack open your trusty book of scales on a consistent basis. The challenge is that many new habits aren't inherently fun at first. So as much as you may want to work out, you may not feel like working out, and the feeling could win out. Because is a good workout satisfying? Totally. But are you having fun on the fifth interval of a Tabata workout? Probably not. For me, practicing felt much like this too. 
I did it every day because I wanted to get better and because playing well was important to me, but was it something I'd do for fun? Yeah, not so much. More often, I'd spend the day procrastinating, allowing myself to get distracted and guilt-tripping myself until my desk was spotless and all my pens were organized by color and how much ink was remaining. So what are we to do when our wants and feels are in conflict? Instead of focusing on the want side of the equation, some researchers have explored this challenge from the feel direction. As in, is it possible to get more people to stick with an exercise program by increasing its enjoyableness? Spoiler alert, the answer appears to be yes. But the more important question, and the real challenge, is how do you make exercise, or practicing for that matter, more enjoyable, without making it easier and thus reducing its effectiveness? It turns out that our perception of how much we enjoy or dislike an experience depends quite a bit on how that experience plays out over time. Specifically, we tend to prefer experiences that become more pleasurable over time, as opposed to experiences that start out great, but become increasingly unpleasant over time, even if the total amount of pleasure we experienced is about the same. Sort of like a movie that takes a while to get into, but ends great, like The Usual Suspects, versus a film that hooks you from the start, but ends with such an unsatisfying conclusion that you can't believe you sat through the whole thing just for that like Arlington Road, at least in my opinion. To take a closer look at this in the context of exercise, a group of researchers recruited 46 participants to participate in two mirror-opposite 15-minute exercise sessions. 22 participants were in the increasing intensity group, and they started out on an exercise bike at an easy, comfortable pace, but their workout got progressively more intense and challenging over the course of those 15 minutes. 24 participants were in the decreasing intensity group. These participants began their workout at the most challenging level, but the intensity gradually decreased to an easy, comfortable pace over the course of those 15 minutes. The overall workout intensity was identical. The intensity was just organized differently for each group. And did that make any difference in how they felt about the workout and whether they'd do it again? As predicted, the increasing intensity group's pleasure ratings of the workout decreased as the workout became more challenging. Meanwhile, the decreasing intensity group's pleasure ratings increased as their workout became easier. And interestingly, the average overall ratings for the workouts were pretty much the same, meaning that overall, both groups experienced about the same amount of pleasure, or lack thereof, during the course of the workout. However, a very different story emerged when participants were asked how they felt about the workout after they finished exercising. The increasing intensity group's average pleasure rating of the workout after completing it was about a 2 on a scale of negative 5 to positive 5. On the other hand, the decreasing intensity group's average rating was about a 2.6. This suggests that the group that ended easy remembered the workout as being more pleasant than it actually was because there was no difference again in their ratings of the workout during the exercise session itself. The post-exercise enjoyment numbers were also quite different. While the increasing intensity group's average enjoyment score was about an 87, the decreasing intensity group's score was about 101, where 72 is the midpoint, and 126 is maximum enjoyment. This suggests that a workout that starts tough but gets easier towards the end is a more enjoyable workout. Most intriguingly, there is a big difference between the two groups' remembered and forecasted pleasure ratings. 
the decreasing intensity group remembered the workout as being much more pleasurable than the increasing intensity group. And the decreasing intensity group also anticipated that they would enjoy doing the same workout again in the future way more than the increasing intensity group thought they would. So what are we to do with this? This study didn't include a follow-up to see if participants in the decreasing intensity group were actually more likely to work out in the days that followed, but this study reminded me of some advice I received years ago related to helping young kids study. I was told that instead of pushing your kids right to the edge of their tolerance level, it's better to stop a few questions short of what they can handle. That way they'll remember the session as being easier than if they ended it feeling spent and exhausted. That'll make it easier to get them to start studying again, with less resistance the next time. Exercising and studying and practicing are of course not all the same thing, but this start tough and easy principle might be interesting to experiment with as you start off the new year. For instance, what might practicing feel like if you identify the most important and most challenging practice task or challenge on your list, and tackle that first in each practice session? With that out of the way, you could then move on to less onerous tasks and end with the most enjoyable, easiest, or funnest things on your list. Or what might happen if you front-load orchestra rehearsals, choir and band practice, and chamber music rehearsals with the most challenging and tricky items on your to-do list, and then progressively work on easier or funner things as the rehearsal progresses. This also means creating a practice to-do list and taking a moment to do some prioritizing, but that's probably not such a bad habit to cultivate for the new year, too. As someone on the internet once said, in the absence of clearly defined priorities, we become strangely loyal to performing daily acts of trivia. You can find links to this week's study and other related practice hacks at bulletproofmusician.com slash blog. If you found this episode helpful, please do share it with a friend or practice buddy who you think would also enjoy experimenting with it during the coming week. And if you'd like to explore this sort of thing in more depth, whether it be to get more out of your daily practice or to get better at managing performance pressure and shrinking that gap between what you can do in the practice room and what comes out on stage, you can learn more about the live and self-paced courses that are available at bulletproofmusician.com courses.